Amen. So, um, just to jump right in to 2 Peter chapter 2, at verse 1, Peter says, But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you. So, important to recognize that, you know, you look at uh, the Old Testament and you see those false prophets. And, and, you know, the beauty of that is we, we have that, you know, perfect understanding of hindsight, that, you know, that the fulfillment of uh, the things that took place in the Old Testament. Um, you know, we weren't people experiencing those false prophets and sitting around and wondering, is this guy right? Is this guy accurate? You know, do we have to listen to him? Should we listen to this other guy? Uh, we, we actually have the Word of God's commentary on those things. So, so Peter lays down uh, the false prophets and says, in like manner, you're going to have false teachers. And it's sort of, you can hear the ominous music at that point because it's, it's you know, sort of a bummer that now we're going to have to go through what they went through in the sense of deciphering who's accurate, who's real, what do we listen to. And uh, it was very detrimental for the nation of Israel, uh, having these false teachers Amongst them, uh, it wasn't just, you know, blasphemous, false things. They're saying things at times that were very encouraging. And, and uh, you know, we're going to be victorious. We're going to, you know, we're going to conquer. We're going to rule. We're going to reign. When, in fact, they were going to be defeated because of their sin. They, they were going to be destroyed. And so, uh, you know, we have to take what Peter is telling us and apply it and look at the teachers that are around us, and what it is uh, that uh, is being taught, what is being said. So we have to run the parallel between false prophets and false teachers. So uh, there were false prophets among the people, uh, even as there will be false teachers among you. Uh, you know, again, you don't see that in you know the little loaf of bread promise, you know, thing on the table each day as you read my daily bread and the promises from God, there will be false teachers among you, right? Uh, but you have the assurance <laughs> that they're going to be there. And uh, that should caution us. We should be wary. We should be, uh, you know, looking at and examining uh, who it is we're learning from, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them. So interesting, okay? I just want to dwell once again for a moment on the doctrine of Calvinism because Calvinism teaches, right, when you get to the strictness of the five points of Calvinism saying that there are the elect and the non-elect, you know, the saved and the unsaved, and God's intention was to create the non-elect, the unsaved, simply to send them to hell. And automatically that sort of sets my teeth on edge, the thought that God would have a character where he just creates things to destroy them. That doesn't sound like the character of the God that I know, right? Uh, you know, free will is part of this program. Yes, sovereign God, right, chose us before the foundations of the earth. Sure, I, I get that concept. Uh, but there again, we have to make choices. We have to obey him. We have to choose 
him for himself. I, I say all of that, right, because here we know the outcome for the false prophets. Right? We're going to work through this thing. We're going to examine Jude. We're going to see what Peter has to say. We're going to know that the end of the false prophets is that they're cast into the lake of fire and then with the devil into outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth for eternity. Eternal destruction is their condemnation in the end. Peter actually has something to say about that as we move through this chapter. So here's the thing. Here's why I'm making this point. The secretly bringing in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them. Okay, now, according to Calvinism, God only paid for those who were going to be saved. Okay? Whereas this says God paid the price for these false teachers. Uh, I illustrate it this way, right? There are many who have been given that check of eternal life, that payment, who refuse to cash it. Right? It's been written for everyone. Right? God is not slack as some count him as slack, but he is patient, not willing that any would perish, but that all would come to salvation, eternal life. Right? John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever, right? Whosoever, that's, it, that's anyone, not just the elect, not the ones that are predestined. Uh, we have choices to make. And God paid for the sins of everyone, right? And the scripture even tells us that he paid for the sins of the whole world. The Calvinists go as far as saying, oh, well, when the scripture says the whole world, it really only means the elect. You know, redefining the scripture. Uh, you say, well, that's semantics. That's no big deal. Listen, there are people who have fallen into this mindset so deeply in condemnation that they make no attempt at repentance, right? They've tried over and over again and failed over and over again, and they come to the thinking of, I must not be the elect. I can't repent. I've tried and tried and tried, and I can't stop living, so I give up because I must not be the, the elect. I'm kidding myself. I'm trying to convince myself I'm the elect when I'm, in fact, the unsaved. Uh, that's, that's a terrible frame of mind. And here's, here's a concept for you. Even thinking that way might not rob them of their salvation. What a shock it will be when they enter the presence of the Lord. Understanding that the grace of God is how we are saved. You know, this whole idea of, you know, us bringing ourselves our works. Listen, you know, again, you can't take this concept. I know I'm going deeper and deeper and deeper down these rabbit trails that men have created. Right? You can't use it as an excuse. Paul's very clear in Romans chapter 6. What then shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Right? We're supposed to depart from sin. But the false teaching, and I do mean the false teaching, because there are correct teachings about Calvinism. Uh, there are teachings within Calvinism that are correct. Does that sound better? Okay. <clears throat> um, but the false teachings of Calvinism throw a whole bunch of people off course in, in, in lots of different directions. Okay, John Calvin didn't even teach Calvinism. I mean, are you, are you aware of that? It was his students that formulated, uh, you know, the tulip, the five points, and, and taught that after him. It wasn't even his own doctrine. 
Okay, so, so please understand that Jesus Christ's blood pays for anyone's sin who will accept it, including you. If you've been the worst of sinners and you've backslidden more times than anyone can count, Christ loves you. And he wants to forgive you. And, and his blood covers all of those sins. So, so, so don't live underneath that condemnation. Hear it again, right? There will be, there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you who secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, bringing on themselves swift destruction. And many will follow. I'll pause right there uh, for just a moment. Many people will follow the false teachers. There's going to be huge groups of people that follow false teachers. You say, well, yeah, of course, it says it right there, and I knew that. Well, there's, there's a weird philosophy that came into the church, and it was actually introduced by a man who was one of the greatest teachers in Israel. Acts chapter 5, beginning at verse 37, we read, After this man, Judas of Galilee, rose up in the days of the census, drew away many people after him. He also perished, and all who obeyed him were dispersed. And now I say to you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if their plan or this work is of men, it will come to nothing. This is Gamaliel speaking to the council about the apostles. And he's making this statement, right? If, if their, you know, their plan is of the work of men, it will come to nothing. But if it is of God, you cannot overthrow it, lest you even be found to fight against God. And they agreed with him. And when they had called the apostles and beat them, that tells you how they were convinced they were of that, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. How convinced were they of it if they beat them and then commanded them not to preach in Jesus' name. Okay? Secondly, right? Hello? <laughs> no, answering service. So, um, uh, you know, this idea that if it's of man, it will fail. Look how big Mormonism is. Look how big, you know, the, the, the Watchtower Society... Kingdom Hall, Jehovah's Witnesses are, right? Go to other countries, look at false, uh, you know, systems, Islam, uh, you know, all you, you name them, you know, uh, Dali, all that, you know, what, what, uh, you know, vein are you uh, accustomed to? There, there's as many as you can count and millions of people engaged, billions of people engaged in them. This idea that if it's of God, you can't conquer it. Well, to a degree, right, we agree with that, right? Uh, I will build my kingdom and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So, okay, we, we agree with that. But, but the concept that if it's of men, it will not prosper. That's not entirely true. That's not entirely true. You know, the church is being destroyed right now by carnality. Right, you know, the, the the biggest churches in the world are uh, largely unchristian. You know, they're they're social networks. 
There's no confrontation of sin within them. They, they encourage the habits of the flesh. You know, they invite people to indulge in them. They, they don't correct anyone. Uh, it's, you know, big concert, theatrics, smoke, lights, you know, rock show, and everybody's impressed. Uh, that's what it's all about. Uh, the bigger your church is, literally, the bigger your church is, the more successful people think you are. Right? Uh, this is part of what Jesus was saying of when you see the vultures circling, don't go. It's just a dead body. Uh, when you can see from a distance, oh, big gathering. <laughs> Caution, right? Big gathering doesn't always mean good things, right? Big dead, dead body, birds of the air, right? Demonic influences. So, you know, learn the parables. And Jesus is saying that, you know, the sower goes out to scatter the seed. And the birds of the air come and snatch the seed away. He says those are demonic influences in the church. Expositional constancy. I know I'm throwing all kinds of terms around here. Once something's been defined inside a teaching, especially by Jesus, then that thing will remain the same by definition every time it's used after that, unless Jesus changes it. So Jesus defines the birds as demonic influence. So then you move right into the next illustration. Plant the mustard seed, grows up, fills the whole earth. So large that the birds of the air are able to make their nests in it. He just told us in the previous uh, parable that the birds of the air were demonic influences. And now he's telling us that within the church, demons are going to make their home. That's scary. That's scary. And then you look around at the stuff that's going on in the church and the next expose uh, that comes out and everybody's standing around scratching their head saying, how in the world could this happen? Pretty simple. Because people are more concerned about their flesh. How does this appeal to my flesh? You know, all of the different aspects, uh, especially the American church, the Western church, just everything's got to be appealing to the flesh. You know, imagine if we had to endure church here tonight uh, like they do in communist China, <clears throat> right? You could not let anyone know in your whole life <clears throat> that you're a Christian. To come here, you would have had to sneak here. The last few miles, miles of your journey would have had to have been under cover of darkness in the woods. Imagine, like, parking your car down at Marden's and trucking through the woods to come here, sneak in through the back, you know, gather together, all the windows drawn, you know, all the lights out, one light, sing with one another, you know, and then leave in the same way. You know, what's remarkable is many of those Bible studies in China last four, six, eight hours, right? 300 people crammed in a room smaller than this, no air conditioning. Singing to the Lord, studying the word of God, standing on their feet, holding their children. Oh, the church in America, if everything isn't just perfect for the flesh, for the flesh, uh, you know, that church pretty much stinks. You know, let's go someplace else. Uh, that's, that's the attitude of what's going on. So, 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 you know, 
consider, many will follow. Uh, that, that is something that you should be aware of. Now, I want to move to the issue of judgment versus discernment, right, before we move forward, because, you know, you start naming false teachers and people get all flared up. Uh, you know, if you, you know, it doesn't matter that you can take a false teacher and you put his name up and then right after that you can list off their false teachings. People still don't want you to say their name. Like somehow that's wrong. You know, why? Because we live in a culture of tolerance, right? And everybody's going around, you know, saying, you know, judge not. Right? And, and they'll very often point to Matthew chapter 7. It's annoying to me that men and women of the cloth are interviewed and their comments are put in the news as though it were the gospel truth. Oh, we've interviewed Reverend so-and-so and she says, and blah, 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 we get to live with whatever comes out of her mouth after that. doesn't even line up with the Word of God. You know, debating homosexual marriage in this state, local minister interviewed, publishes in the paper, he says, as far as I know, the Bible doesn't say anything about uh, uh, homosexuality being wrong. Do you have a Bible? You know, that was my first question. Right? But, but they interview him as an authority. As an authority. You know, local minister so-and-so, publish his name, put his quote right in the paper, right? And, and, and the, and the punchline is, he says, when it comes to this subject, I always think of what Jesus said to the woman caught in the act of adultery. Neither do I condemn you. Uh, oh, that's cute. How about the next words? Go and sin no more. Right? Where's the whole council? Right? Yes, Jesus Christ's acceptance, but also Jesus Christ's confrontation. If you're sitting here tonight, probably you've experienced that in your life. Jesus Christ's acceptance and yet his confrontation of you. Right? Because we're all sinners. Every one of us. He comes to us with open arms and says, come to me. But then when we're in his embrace, he, he says, now this stuff's got to go. These things need to leave. Right? So, uh, when Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, looking at verse 1, Judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye and do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye? And look, a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite! Exclamation point. First, notice this, first remove the plank from your own eye. And then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So he doesn't say, look, don't, 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 nobody should pull anybody's speck out of anybody's eye. He doesn't say that. He says, don't be a hypocrite while you do it. First, let the Lord deal with you and your heart. Clear out the plank, right? Any of us that has had an injury or an illness, you then talk to somebody that has the same or a similar injury or illness, don't you sympathize with them so much more? 
they begin describing you're like, oh, I know what that's like. Oh, that was terrible. Oh, I'm going to pray for you. Right? You don't say, well, you're an idiot. How'd you get that? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Why'd you let that happen to you? <clears throat> that would be hypocritical. Okay? When you've had the Lord deliver you from something, then you're sympathetic with the Lord's dealing with another person and removing. And that's what Jesus said. Now, keep in mind, right? The judgment Jesus is speaking of, Matthew chapter 7, beginning at verse 1, is literal physical punishment. When he says, judge not, this is literally like standing in front of the judge. Some of you have had the unfortunate experience of standing in front of the judge and having the judge judge you. Say to you, we've examined all the evidence, we've found you to be guilty, and this is your sentence. You're going to jail. You're going to pay these fines. You're going to go on probation. You know, in certain instances, right, the punishment is death. Capital punishment. You've committed a crime, and now you receive the judgment. So when Jesus says, judge not, that's what he's talking about. He's talking about not administering the punishment. Judge not, lest you be judged, is what he's saying. Uh, now, it's, it's interesting when you consider how this works, right? Because you're in Matthew chapter 7. If you're following me, we just finished at verse 5. If you jump down 10 verses to Matthew chapter 7 at verse 15, same chapter, Jesus says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. If you take the world's approach to judge not, lest you be judged, then Jesus wouldn't be allowed to say this. Right? Oh, Jesus is so judgmental. How dare he call them ravenous wolves? How dare he call them false prophets? You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. That's the judgment, the cutting down, right? If you walk up to an apple tree and say, this is an apple tree. That's not judgmental. You're, you're determining the tree based upon the fruit that it bears, right? If your friend is saying, no, 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 no. It's an orange tree. You can say, it's not. How judgmental of you. All of us have agreed. We've taken a vote and this is an orange tree. Doesn't matter, does it? If it's covered in apples, and every element of it is apple, it is an apple tree. And for you to declare it an apple tree is not actually even judgmental. Now, if you walk up to that tree and say, this is an apple tree, and I hate apple trees. That's why I brought my chainsaw with me. And you fire it up and you cut the tree down, you've judged the tree. And this is what the Lord is saying we should not do as Christians. But saying to someone, right, and I don't mean to dwell on this, it, uh, we'll, how about we'll shift, okay? To say to someone, alcoholism is a sin, is not judgmental. 
To say to someone, homosexuality is a sin, is not judgmental. Drug addiction is a sin, is not judgmental. To declare things what they are, okay, right? Confession is necessary and repentance is necessary in order to be a believer. Confession, right, one more time class, is the word homologeo, which means to say the same thing. That's what that means, right? God has said this is a sin. So you say homologeo of someone else or yourself. This thing in my life is sin. That's confession. Repentance is then to turn around. Go the other direction. You were going the direction of sin. Now you leave the sin and go the other direction. Confession, homologeo, say the same thing God does, and then turn around and go the opposite direction. That, that's repentance. This is what the Lord calls us to. Our culture is engaged in redefinition. Move everything, change everything, call everything something else. No, no, it's not murder, it's choice. Right? Change all of these. You know, it, it's, it's women's health rights. All these different things that we're redefining. They're disagreeing with God. And I do mean disagreeing, right? You know, the nicest of them will say, well, I don't look at it that way. Meaning you don't agree with what God says about it. Right? The harshest of them will say it's wrong to say that. To declare homosexuality a sin. To say abortion is murder. To say drunkenness is a sin. It's wrong. They'll confront people and say that's wrong to say that. Look at what's happening right now. LBGTQ community in the way that they're changing everything. To the point where the most educated people in our country literally sit in front of the largest body of ruling people and say, I wouldn't know how to define a woman. <laughs> wow. Gee whiz, man. Then, then please don't handle our laws. If you can't determine the most obvious and basic of things, then please don't handle the complexity of our constitution and how it integrates in every level of our society. So unfortunate to see the junk going on that's going on all around us. Be fruit inspectors, Jesus said. Not, not judgmental, right? It's not the job of the church to go around executing judgment. But it is our job to say, this is sin. Everyone here needs to repent. <laughs> the kingdom of God is at hand. This is our job. We are to call the world to repentance as we have repented. So, now that we've made it all the way to verse 2, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 2, many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. The way of truth. Truth is possible. Truth is real. Truth is attainable. Right? This is the biggest problem with our culture, is it long ago determined uh, truth isn't actually real. You can't know truth. Truth is subjective. You know, what's true for you is true for you. What's true for me is true for me. 
Really? I don't think that's true. Because if I bludgeon you right now and take all of your money away, because for me, that's okay. That's my truth. I bet you're going to object. If I break into your home and steal everything you've worked so hard for, right? I bet you're going to protest. And you're going to insist that you're correct and I'm wrong. Well, sad to say we've actually gotten to the place in our culture where people are even arguing against that, aren't they? Right? This isn't looting. Right? This is protesting. Protesting all of these belongings being on the shelves. So I'm taking them home to my house. Just throw this cinder block through the glass. You know, we're protesting. The injustice. This is not injustice? No, this is protesting. Mostly peaceful protesting. Ignore the fire, you know, right? It's crazy. Insane. And so remember, right, we're going to get to this. Uh, Lot's righteous soul was tormented daily. Right? So as you're watching the news and pulling your hair out, you're in good company. Right? You're amongst those in the scripture who were tormented. So many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. And that way of truth is most directly speaking of Christianity. Just to be clear about that. If you're not aware of it, the term Christian was a mocking term that the pagans of Antioch assigned to believers. It means little Christ. You're a small representative of Jesus Christ. So they were demeaning the believers. And they began to mock, oh, here comes the Christian. Here comes the little Christ. Everybody stop. Stop doing what you're doing. Just we're going to get shamed. You know, there's a Christian in our midst. Previous to that, it was simply known as the way. The way. The way of Jesus Christ. The way of truth. Right? As Pontius Pilate is speaking to Jesus, right? And uh, he asks, what, Pilate asks, what is truth? So postmodernism reaches way back in history. And Jesus said, I am truth. Right? This is the way of truth that we believe in, that we walk in, that we function in. This is our faith. Now notice this in verse 3. By covetousness, they will exploit you. By covetousness, they will exploit you. Listen, you guys. You've got to get that engraved on your heart and mind somewhere. This is how the false teachers function. This is how they function. This is how they ensnare your heart. Covetousness. Okay, no show of hands, but would we all agree that we wrestle with covetousness? No, you don't? I mean, how in the world is commercialism so successful then? All right? They don't have to, right, make us hate our cell phone. All they got to do is show us the next better one. And now you got to have that one and the next one and the next and the next and the next. This is the way marketing has always worked, causing us to just want, want. Okay, now, listen, fault teachers within the church, 
Have you struggled with your marriage? Now they make you want a different, better marriage. Have you struggled with your health? Now they want they make you want health, wealth, prosperity. They're making you want something other than what you have. This is what false teachers do. This is, this is why. This is the core principle behind why the health, wealth, and prosperity movement is a false movement, a false teaching, a movement of false teachings. And I don't know if you're aware of it. Las Vegas uses what are called shills. A shill is an employee of the casino who is a fake winner. Okay? They're an employee. Hourly rate, earning their wage. Blackjack tables have grown cold. Nobody's betting. They send in a shill, a fake winner, an employee of the casino. They put in a fake dealer. They deal him a winning hand. Boom. The lights go off. The sirens wail. The money is, you know, pushed forward to him. Hooray, he's a winner. And they continue to just dump until the blackjack tables fill up. And then they change out the dealer. And they change out the deck. And the shill stays at the table for a brief while. But then his money is all gathered up. His chips and his earnings and he's taken off the table and he goes in. He gets zero of that money. It's all casino money. That was promotion. That was advertisement. They do it with every element. Legally, this is an agreed law in every state where gambling is allowed. Okay? Blackjack tables, roulette wheels, even the slot machines. Flip the switch, pull the handle, boom, winner. Oh, money. And... Take it all back, give it to the casino just to inspire betting. Get everybody else in. They're not cheating everybody else. They're winning or losing based upon real statistics. All of that is very heavily governed by you know the government that's making their money on the bets. So they regulate this very carefully. Listen to me. Spiritually, the devil has shills. Fake winners. You want to be a Christian, then you want to be like me. I gave all my money, and look what the Lord has done to me. Look, I got a private jet, and I've got a mansion. And if you give your money, right, to them, and they're wealthy, and you see the big pile of what they got, and you think, wow, I want to be like that, and here you are. Listen, they're capitalizing, and forgive me for confronting us with this, but it's the covetousness in our heart that wants that stuff. There's a weakness in us that says, yeah, I've been sick for a long time. I'd like to be healthy. Yeah, I've been poor for all my life. I'd like to be wealthy. And we get, and listen, just set that aside for a minute and, and look at the scripture. And where does it ever promote the concept of being wealthy, healthy, any of those things? None of those things. Right? Where this whole faith began was with Abraham, right? As far as organized religion, Jewish religion rolls into Christianity. And the Lord said to Abraham, Genesis chapter 15, I am your inheritance. I am your great reward. 
Paul tells Timothy, godliness with contentment is great gain. He doesn't say, get the great gain, then you'll be content, and then you can concentrate on being godly. Which is what our brain does with that calculation. Oh, if I was only healthier, then. If my marriage was, then I'd be, oh yeah, I just want, I want, I want, I want. Godliness in your present condition. Think about the stuff these men endured. Right? Beatings and imprisonment and illness and shipwrecks and, I mean, the garbage that they went through. Godliness in the midst of all that, with contentment in the midst of all that, is great gain. Right? If, if we would get to the point where we would concentrate, what did Jesus say? They're all worried about, right? Food, clothing, shelter, we've left everything. Jesus says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added unto you. What you need, and what do you need? The basics, food, clothing, and shelter, right? And if you live in you know the Middle East, really all you need is food and clothing. You know, much of it is just... You know, they were living in tents, right? Following the Lord, and He was their provision. Covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time, their judgment has not been idle. Might feel like it. We've been watching these false teachers for how many centuries? How is it God hasn't just you know turned them into a pile of ashes? Just what, what is going on? Oh, their judgment is coming. It is coming. And, and think about it. Wouldn't it be incredible if they repented? Wouldn't that be wonderful? If they came to know the Lord, right? I often point to Jeffrey Dahmer. A hideous human being. Murderous, homosexual, cannibalizing his victims. Horrendous individual incarcerated after his conviction godly husband and wife team went and applied for visitation rights went into the prison and began to minister the gospel to Jeffrey Dahmer he surrendered his life to Christ he spoke at length with them and counselors and others about how um, the pornography thrown out in the trash by his neighbor that he found as a child consumed his heart and mind so that by the time he hit puberty, he was already out of control with sexual appetite. And that led to heinous behavior as he began to develop as a young man uh, in his teens and became violent early on and resulted in the monster that he was. He was less than 24 hours away from having an interview with a national news company where he was going to share all of that history and how the Lord had delivered him and he had become a Christian when he was beaten to death by a fellow inmate with a broomstick. The enemy doesn't want that message heard by the world not how he became captive or how he became free. The grace of God will cover even these that are false teachers if they repent. 
God wants to deliver them. Their, their judgment is coming if they do not. For a long time, their judgment has not been idle, and their destruction does not slumber. Now, he puts examples for us here, and I'm not going to confuse us with a lot of what potentially is in this. Verse 4, For if God did not spare the angels who sinned and cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. Now, um, Jude uh, says, and really I would strongly encourage you to study, it's one chapter, study Jude, because uh, this issue of false teachers, um, Peter here and Jude just like almost lockstep go back and forth straight down through the issue to explain who they are, how to look for them, what their motivation is, how it affects us. So, so the book of Jude, very much worth your time. Uh, Jude chapter 1, there's only one chapter, but we say it that way anyway. Verse 6 says, The angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. So just try to... Stay loose in the saddle here with me on this subject. There are two main ways of looking at this subject. One, Satan's rebellion and fall with one-third of the angels following him, right? Their proper domain was in the presence of the Lord. That was their home, okay? And, and there's behind that, there's something that's very interesting in parallel to the false teachers, uh, you know, not trying to get too abstract here, but um, their role in creation was to minister to the human race, right? The angels bring us salvation. The gospel, according to the scripture, they're here with us right now. According to the scripture, they helped you get here, right? Helped inspire you, speak to you, draw you, protect you. All the things that angels do. Angels are involved. Pretty cool thought. Okay? <clears throat> the devil didn't want to serve. He wanted to be served. Okay, now just take one step down. These false teachers don't want to serve. They want to be served. Well, they're, they're imitating their spiritual father. They are false teachers, they are servants of the devil, in fact, and they reflect the character of their father, their spiritual father, which is what Jesus said to the religious leaders who were about to crucify him, right? You always do the will of your father. <laughs> he was a murderer from the beginning. And you're just like your father. And when you speak lies, you're just speaking your native tongue, because that's the only thing that your father speaks is lies. So now you know why the politicians are that way. So anyway, moving on. <clears throat> so the first look is Satan and his rebellion. I'll quote Revelation chapter 12, verses 3 and 4. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads, ten horns, seven diadems or crowns on his head. His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. So the second one is angels procreating with women. So these two main views, Genesis chapter 1, 
or excuse me, Genesis chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Now it came to pass, when men began to multiply in the face of the earth, and the daughters were born to them, that the sons of God, and listen, that's where the whole thing hangs, is on who are the sons of God. And the bottom line is, I don't find any other way to interpret sons of God other than angels. Okay, And there are people who want to make it, uh, you know, descendants of Seth and all kinds of things. And that's possible. And, you know, if they're right, they're right. If they're wrong, they're wrong. So uh, it, the daughters were born to them that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful, and they took wives from uh, for themselves uh, of all whom they chose. So <clears throat> it's possible that you're looking at angels not keeping their proper domain within their species group and crossing over into the human realm uh, to have relations with women. Be it Satan uh, left his proper domain and uh, no longer served God, wanted to become God himself, was cast out of heaven, or if you're specifically talking about angels uh, having relations with human beings, either way, the example is put out to the listeners that they have received their judgment. And, and it's it's the idea of the known. Like all of the Jewish readers would have been like, oh yeah, you know, no question for them. For us, uh, you know, we want to dig into all the details of all of this. What does this mean? How, how does this work? You know, what are the particulars? So I just want to touch on a couple of things in this regard and then we'll move on. Some of the angels have already been sent to hell. Whichever group you're talking about, those who have left their proper domain have already been sent uh, to hell. Others are here on earth awaiting their judgment. So proof texts, Matthew chapter 8, verse 28. There met him two demon-possessed men. Then in verse 29, and suddenly they cried out saying, What have we to do with you, Jesus, Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time or the appointed time? Luke tells us of the same occasion, chapter 8, verse 31, they begged him that he would not command them to go into the abyss, literally into hell. So uh, just to close it out, because those were here on earth, those that are already in hell, we see them being released in the book of Revelation, chapter 9. At verse 1, then the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fall from heaven to the earth. To him was given the key to the bottomless pit, and he opened the bottomless pit, and smoke rose out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace. So the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. Then out of the smoke, locusts came out of the earth, and to them was given power as scorpions of the earth have power they were commanded not to harm the grass of the earth, which would be very interesting uh, for locusts uh, to not touch the uh, grass of the earth. And any green thing or any tree, but only those men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. So these beings released from the bottomless pit. They were confined there, and then they are released during the tribulation. So all of that to say... Uh, back to verse 4, for if God did not spare the angels who sinned but cast them down to hell, delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for uh, judgment. Uh, the ancient Greek word translated hell there is literally 
Tartarus. In Greek mythology, Tartarus was the lowest hell, a place of punishment for rebellious gods. Peter borrowed the word to speak of the place of punishment for the angels who sinned. And uh, that will be the final place for the false teachers. Moving forward in verse 5, the word and should stand out in connecting these two concepts. The angels, who obviously have some already been judged, others are awaiting their judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly. Just to touch on the issue of creation versus evolution, the Human Genome Project, interestingly enough, shows two funnel points in the entire human race, right? If we take my genetics or your genetics and we're able to look at our parents' genetics, we can see, okay, my genetics funnel back to this woman and to this man, okay? And if we have other genetics, we can look and see, okay, it funnels back to this family line. And you go back and you can find the McDougals that came straight over from Ireland during the potato famine and the Williams that came over from Ireland and, you know, one big Irish mess moved to uh, Maine and started planting potatoes. And uh, here I am, you know. So my genetic line, you can follow that. The entire human race funnels back to four, eight people, really, is what you're looking at. Why, why eight? Well, well, that's really interesting. Noah, right, and his sons and their wives. This is the Human Genome Project saying we found these two interesting funnel, funnel points. So strange. Funnels right back down to, you know, four, combination of two, four parents. So strange. And it also funnels back down to two. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, Adam and Eve. Just like the scripture says. Science is handling the truth of God's word all the time, but they're blind. They're blind, right? Uh, there's an interesting old statement. There's no one more deaf than the person who will not listen. You know, talk all you want. <laughs> they're not going to hear a word you're saying if they're not going to listen. So uh, Noah was spared uh, one of eight a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly. Contrast, godly, ungodly. Godly, not judged. Ungodly, judged. Turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemning them to destruction, making an example to those who afterward would live ungodly. Well, we don't have any evidence of you know the archaeological digs finding any remnant of Sodom and Gomorrah. Yeah, no, duh, right? I mean, the scripture tells us they were utterly destroyed. And we know exactly, according to the scripture, where they were, which is today the lowest point on planet Earth, Dead Sea, right? That, that's, that's where it was. You know, you read the New Testament and Jesus walks into the temple and flips over the money changers' tables when you're... In Genesis, reading about Sodom and Gomorrah, and it says God overturned Sodom and Gomorrah, same term. Reach underneath those two cities and flip them right over. And so you want to find them, you're probably going to have to dig a long way down. 
in order to find them. Destroyed. Lowest point on planet Earth to stand as a testimony that they were judged by God. So, making an example to those who afterward would live ungodly and delivered righteous lot. Man, do you, when you, when you, without that statement, when you read the account of Lot, do you think righteous Lot? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I just, why? Because it's accounted to him by grace. By grace. Right? We've read through the hall of faith and all oh, the exemplary names. What a wonderful example. And Abraham and, and Samson. What? <laughs> How'd that guy get in? Why, why is why is Samson recorded in the Hall of Faith? Right? Grace. Take it to heart. Examine yourself. Love the grace of God. So righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked, for that righteous man dwelling among them uh, tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. All of that to say, don't be deceived when you think they're getting away with it. Just because they've got a massive radio television network and like I said, they've got a mansion or several, and they've got private jets, and they look so healthy and wealthy and prosperous. Don't look on and think they are getting away with it. Or that somehow God has blessed them. Their judgment is coming. They're going to experience it. He made them an example. He knows how to deliver the godly. So follow this. So uh, verse 9, then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation, reserve uh, the unjust for punishment for the day of judgment, and especially those who walk according to the flesh in the lusts of uncleanness, and this is sexual sin, and despise authority. You might want to underline that in your Bible, because the authority that he's speaking of is the false teachers despising the authority of God and his word. In particular, his word. He declares a thing to be a certain way, establishes his doctrine in his word, and they ignore it. They brush it aside. They teach contradictory to it. They are presumptuous, self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries. You might want to underline not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries. I'll read that same verse to you. From 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 10, in the New Living Translation, where it says, These people are proud and arrogant, daring even to scoff at supernatural beings without so much as trembling. Scoff at supernatural beings. Specifically, I have seen pastors screaming and yelling at the devil, stomping back and forth, calling him names, saying what they were going to do to him. Seriously, devil, I bind you, I put you under my feet, I stomp on you. I've, I've listened to these sermons in person. Devil's nothing but a loser. On and on, they speak against dignitaries, supernatural beings. 
If you think I'm taking that out of context and making something of it that this doesn't intend, uh, verse 11 goes on to say, whereas angels, in contrast to these false teachers who speak evil of supernatural beings, whereas angels who are greater in power and might than the false teachers who are merely human, they do not bring a reviling accusation against them before the Lord. Specifically, again, Jude, speaking on the subject of false teachers, addresses the same issue, and I'll give it to you from the New Living Translation again, so we understand it very clearly. In the same way, these people, Jude says, who claim authority from their dreams, live immoral lives, defy authority, biblical, godly authority, scoff at super, supernatural beings. Verse 9, Jude said, but even Michael, the archangel, one of the mightiest of the angels, did not dare to accuse the devil of blasphemy, but simply said, the Lord will rebuke you. This took place when Michael was arguing with the devil about Moses' body. Look, if an angel, if the archangel, and let's be clear, there's one. Forget what Roman Catholicism has taught. According to the scripture, only Michael is the archangel. Michael is the greatest authority amongst the angels. And in contending with the devil, he didn't even dare call him a blasphemer or rebuke him for the sin that he was trying to commit. He, he merely said, the Lord will deal with you. And yet these preachers stand in the pulpit and say great, swelling, ridiculous things. Two, directly two, right? I might talk trash about Mike Tyson if, if he wasn't standing right here, you know what I'm saying? If Mike is right here, I'm not going to say a word. It's going to be yes, sir, no, sir, lots of pleasant things, you know? I mean, everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the head. That was Mike's statement, you know what I'm saying? You don't want to argue with that. Why would you say something wicked about the devil? Why, why would you act like you've got some authority, you've got some power? Jesus said to Peter and the apostles, the devil, it isn't just that he has requested to sift you like sand. It is he's going to sift you like sand. Wow. No thanks. Remember the last time you were run through a sifter? <laughs> you know. Some of us can go, yeah, yeah, yes, <laughs> I remember those three years. Yeah, that was horrible. You don't, you don't, you know, the arrogance involved in these people. Let's wrap it up here. Uh, verse 12. We're back in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 12. But these like natural brute beasts, and that's insultive as it sounds. Peter is like, these guys are just dumb animals. That's who they are. These false teachers, like natural brute beasts, made to be caught and destroyed, speak evil of the things they do not understand and will utterly perish in their own corruption, their own rot, their own decay, and will receive the wages of unrighteousness, right? You don't have to think much. Just jump a couple verses in your mind. The wages of sin is death. They'll get their reward. They're shills. 
Everything they're receiving right now goes back to the house. They get their paycheck, the one that's due them. They don't get to take any of that reward they're receiving in this life. That's all a show. That's a show. That's fake. That's not real. They exit this world. They're going to enter an eternity where they only receive their judgment. No, thank you. Look, we don't even want our judgment, do we? We want grace and mercy. I do not want to heap on top of that false teacher. No, thank you. The wages of unrighteousness as those who count it pleasure to carouse in daytime. They are spots and blemishes. That should ring a bell, right? The Lamb of God was without spot or blemish. They are spots and blemishes. They, they have, forgive me for putting it this way, they have birth defect and scarring injuries. They, they, they are corrupt. They're not pure. Right? You're pure. You're perfect. You are. Because you're covered in the blood of Christ. Right? When the Father looks upon you, all he sees is the Lamb of God that takes away, right? Doesn't just cover the sins of the world, takes away the sins of the world. Praise God. These do not. They are spots and blemishes carousing in their own deceptions while they feast with you. So we understand the feasting that he's referring to was communion. First day of the week, they would come together and they would feast. We, we do it symbolically, right? That's, that's the Lord's table while they feast with you, right? Their spots, their blemishes uh, while they feast with you. Having eyes full of adultery and that cannot cease from sin. Enticing unstable souls. They have a heart trained in covetous practices. Right? Same thing we've already talked about. Their hearts only bent in this direction. Uh, covetousness. They, they have a heart of covetousness. And are accursed children. What a horrifying thought. They have forsaken the right way and gone astray. Following the way of Balaam. Boy, you'd want to look back into the Old Testament and see Balaam. Right? The son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. He was, he was only in the ministry for the paycheck. That's why Balaam, that's, Balaam, he's what a weirdo, right? I mean, totally in rebellion to God, and yet he can hear very accurately from God. See, he's a weirdo in, in, in a spiritual sense, and he's only in it for the money. He was rebuked. For his iniquity, a dumb donkey speaking with a man's voice restrained the madness of the prophet. What a remarkable statement. Look, man, don't be excited when God has to use ignorant, dumb, inanimate things to speak to you. We should be able to sit here with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, hear the word of God and say... I'm down with that. I agree with that. I embrace that. And I will live by that. Right? As I said uh, Sunday, if you're a graduate from the School of Hard Knocks, I admire you. If you're still enrolled and taking courses, 
Like, you're a failure, you know? Cut it out. You know, the only thing that's honorable about that is if you've finished. You know, that's the only thing honorable about the school of hard knocks is if you're done with it. You know, I don't care if you've completed previous courses. If you're still enrolled in other courses, it's a shame. You should be embarrassed. We need to get done. You can speak with a certain level of authority and dignity if you've graduated. <laughs> if you are done paying that tuition. But if you're still enrolled, I don't care if you're only taking one course at a time right now. Right? Where, you know, previously you were working on a master's. Just the one course you're presently enrolled in is, is nullifying to your testimony. Leave it behind. Be done with it. You know, drop out. <laughs> you know, don't even, don't even finish the course. Just drop out, man. Just be done. <laughs> they'll, send, they'll send you your diploma in the mail. Don't, don't worry about it. Just get done. You know, donkey, restrain the madness of the prophet. These are wells without water, all right, in a desert wasteland. Oh, man, there it is. You can see the little roof and the stone circle and the little handle, and you crawl your way there and nothing. <laughs> you know, well without water. That's a horrible thought. Clouds carried by a tempest to these Middle Eastern farmers. Clouds. Clouds mean rain. Rain means crop. Crop means money. You know, hooray! You know, they're a cloud for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. They're empty. They have nothing there. Verse 18, for when they speak great swelling words of emptiness, <laughs> you know, when they stand up on the stage with their cronies left and right of them, and they've all got microphones, and they declare that they have rebuked COVID and it is now gone. You know, almost two years ago. And they blow in the microphone. COVID, I blow. I got no comment about that. They allure through the lust of the flesh, through lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. While they promise them liberty, freedom, they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by whom a person is overcome by him also, he is brought into bondage. For if after they have escaped the pollution of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them. And look at, look at this. And overcome. If you don't underline in your Bible, steal your neighbor's pen. And underline that. If you're not doing it, reach over into your neighbor's Bible and underline that for them. Okay? And overcome, right? Because every one of us has stumbled back into our sin. And our enemy would like to convince us that there's no hope for us. The hope is the same as it was the first time. Repent. Hamalageo and metanoia. Turn around. Go the opposite direction is what the Lord wants us to do. Overcome, right? Claw your way out of that. Let me help you claw your way out of that. Leave it behind. The latter end is worse for them than the beginning, if they're in fact overcome. 
For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. But it has happened to them, according to the true proverb, a dog returns to his own vomit. Isn't that a disgusting thing? Just, I, you know, I am, I'm a conservationist and I'm an animal lover, okay? You know, and some people have a hard time with that. But I have kicked a few dogs when they vomit and then start right back in on it. Just get out of that. You know, it's just so disgusting. So vile. And yet, this is the picture that the scripture gives us. That's how disgusting we are. Get out of it. Get, get, leave that behind. That's so disgusting. A sow having washed to her wallowing in the mire. Why? Because that's all a pig can do. Seriously. You take a pig and scrub them all up. You know, get them nice and clean. That's a massive adjutant to that poor animal. It can't stand it. Their skin is not supposed to be clean like that. That's why they roll in the mud. Right? It protects their skin. It's their nature. They enjoy it. They have to do it. They want to do it. They can't but do it. Whereas a sheep will also fall in the mud. But it hates it. And it can't survive there. And it very often will die. They call it casting. Their wool gets super heavy. Right? And they're actually walking on those little spindly legs. And if they get knocked or they stepped on soft ground and they start over to the side, that's really hard for them to get that flip right upside down. And that's it. Done. Many the shepherd has found their sheep dead from just flipping over upside down. We get flipped over sometimes, don't we? Right? Step in the wrong place. Get tripped up by others. Get led into things. Deceived. You know, the proof, right? They used to say the proof is, they used to actually say the proof's in the taste of the pudding. Now we just say the proof's in the pudding. But maybe you don't say that at all. So, um, you know, that, that thought process, you guys, uh, are you a pig? Do you get into sin and really enjoy it? And when you're caught there and somebody tries to drag you out, you're like all bummed out. You're only bugged with the fact that you got caught. Or are you a sheep who, yes, does periodically fall into the garbage and you hate every loving minute of it? You hate it. Sheep. Sheep. You need, you need, you need to stay close to the shepherd. You need to stay close to the shepherd. He'll keep you out of all that dumb stuff. Right? The sheep that do this most commonly are the wanderers. Who get away from the flock. I don't really like the flock. I like to find God in nature. You know what's out in nature? Mud. Right? Holes. Bad. Dark wolves. Stay in the flock, would you? Like all the time. Watch the nature channel, right? The predator charges at the herd. And when the herd scatters, who does he go after? The one that peels off to the side. The one that breaks away from the herd, breaks away from the flock. Stay right in the middle. Stay next to the shepherd. Let him handle the whole thing. These false teachers are out there. 
and we don't want to have anything to do with them or with their teachings. So if you want the list of who they are, come talk to me when we're done. Let's stand and we'll pray. Betty Hinn, Kenneth Copeland, Ken Hagen, Joyce Meyer, Rick Warren, Joel Olstein. Yeah. The list is long. Very long. Yeah. I used to be able to say uh, those on TBN, but now they've got some good teachers on there, which is worse because now you got to figure out who's right and who's wrong. Uh, you know who is always right? It's Jesus. And you'll always find him in the word of God. And you don't have to be concerned about that. It's why we stay there in the word, verse by verse. And it's why we encourage you to go home and review what has been taught to you so that you're not just taking my word for it. So that you're examining the word of God for yourself and finding out whether those things be so. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for providing for us. Help us to be men and women that stay close to you, who follow you, and all that you do in our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless.